Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this afternoon's series security seminar. Uh, I, I would appreciate all being here. So today we really pleased to have uh, Mu Chang speaking virtually. So Mu is an assistant professor at the Kahlert School of Computing at the University of Utah. So he works at the unique intersection between system security and cyber physical systems, which is very related to my current research. So I uh, follow his research uh, very closely. Okay, so uh, Mu is the lead of uh, a couple of projects. Uh, for instance, the DARPA project, Semantics Aware Discovery of Advanced Persistent Threats in Cyber Physical Systems. So this project aims to detect advanced attacks in CPS settings. He's also a key personnel on the NSF CPS Frontier project, software-defined control for smart manufacturing systems. And he has led technical effort to develop a security wedding system for controller programs. So he publishes uh, in top tier security conferences, including uh, IEEE Security and Privacy, CCS, and NDSS. And then he got he received a couple of awards, Distinguished Paper Award uh, from ISTA and also another Distinguished Paper Award from uh, Uppsala. And also, I guess, uh, back in 2020, you got the best paper honorable mention at CCS, as far as I remember, right? So welcome, uh, Moon. Thank you so much again for being with us today. Please take it away. Yeah, thank you, Berkey, for the introduction. It's my great pleasure to introduce our work as it's a prestigious seminar. Um, so, so first of all, can you see my screen? Yes. 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 Okay, great. All right, so today I'm going to talk about our ongoing project <clears throat> on backtracking insurance in modern industrial uh, Internet of Things, or IIoT. So the motivation of this project is very straightforward. Right? So the threats are real. Right? So you can see a lot of these uh, news headlines about those uh, different attacks right, against uh, the critical cyber, uh, critical infrastructures. So the adversaries have demonstrated their ability to attack different critical infrastructures, for example, water system, power systems, nuclear facilities like the Stuxnet attack, or manufacturing sectors like the colonial pipeline attacks. So all these real attacks and their significant impacts motivate us to develop new techniques that can help uh, the human inspectors, right, to understand, to capture these uh, attacks, right, new attacks against uh, these uh, IIoT systems. To understand the attacks, well, first we need to understand the system itself. Right? So now that we are uh, at Purdue, right, it's necessary to mention this uh, Purdue model right, for the modern industrial control systems. Right? Essentially, the entire control systems can be divided into multiple levels, right? particularly five levels, right? from level zero to level four. And the, the lower the level is, the closer it gets to the, uh, the physical domain. And for example, the level four is about the business, business logic. Right? You can see a lot of business servers at this level. Right? So the employees and means can also connect their devices right, to the internal network right, through this level. The level three is about the uh, engineering, right? So the operations, right? You can see these engineering servers, right? You can see uh, some, uh, some, some development workstations or data servers. 
But basically, this level three and level four are still the traditional IT systems, and therefore they are kind of uh, separated from a more physical domain, right? Through, for example, using a firewall. And the level two uh, is uh, actually more about the control systems, right? So you can actually see SCADA servers, right? SCADA is uh, a short for uh, supervisory control and uh, data acquisition, uh, which can be used to monitor the entire uh, factory floor. You can also see HMI, human machine interface at this, uh, at this level, which allow the human operators to easily send command to the physical devices and get feedback. So the level one is called the intelligence system level, which essentially uh, includes all this uh, uh, field controllers like uh, PLCs, right? Process logic controllers or robotic controllers or some real-time controllers, uh, RTAC. And all these different controllers are used to, to control different uh, physical processes at the level zero. And because this Purdue model is designed in a very general way, it can be used to support different uh, physical processes. Right? So for example, these physical processes can be a water treatment system. Right? So therefore, these PRCs can be used to control the pumps that are attached to those uh, water tanks or uh, uh, this uh, the uh, the chemical storage tanks right or mixers, right? So this physical process can also be a power grid, right? So therefore, the controller is used to control the power generation, transmission, and distribution at individual uh, substations. Or this uh, physical process can be a manufacturing sector, and therefore, well, we're actually controlling robots, controlling the conveyor belts to de de deliver cargos and eventually send them to, for example, the highway warehouses. Because the, uh, the, 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 the industrial control systems must follow this uh, Purdue model. So the attacks also follow this model, right? Take this uh, Florida water treatment plant attack as an example. So, so, so of course, right, so this attack itself is an insider attack, right? But now here I add some additional attack features, right, to make it more general. So essentially the goal for this attack is to be uh, able to compromise the water quality. But in order to do that, so what the attackers does is uh, uh, they need to first uh, penetrate this uh, system to get into the inside network, internal network. And to be able to do that, they can uh, initially penetrated some uh, laptop used by administrators, right, by using spear phishing. So then they can get into this internal network, but just to get into this internal network, uh, it's not enough, right? Because uh, the modern control systems can be very complex. It's not very easy for the attackers to identify the target that they were, they want to cause damage. So therefore they need to perform some internal reconnaissance, right, for example, to uh, penetrate this uh, data server to get some sensitive uh, information to understand uh, where the high profile targets are, right? So in this case, where this uh, critical SCADA server is. And then once they have figured out this uh, high profile target, they can move laterally from one host to another, eventually get to this uh, critical target. And starting from there, uh, they can uh, send a fake commands or um, the fake uh, configuration settings, right, to the field devices, right, field controllers, right? So in this case, you can change the uh, the dosage of the certain chemicals. And uh, upon receiving this uh, uh, fake commands where a fake, uh, mod uh, uh, the modification of uh, uh, the, the configuration settings, 
right? So these few few controller will eventually send a false command to the uh, the specific, for example, pump that is uh, used to control uh, the dosage of a certain chemical and eventually cause a water contamination. And in addition to that, uh, the attackers can further hide this attack by providing uh, fake uh, measurement readings right from this SCADA server. So from this attack, right, from this typical attack, right, so we get two major uh, takeaways. First of all, unlike the traditional attacks that target uh, computer systems or IT systems, the attacks against uh, a control system, modern control systems, aim to cause physical damage, right? Essentially cause the damage to level zero, right? So this uh, uh, physical processes. So in traditional attacks against uh, computer systems, attackers usually focus on data, right? So they either steal data or they compromise data. In the attacks against uh, control systems, although the attackers still need to perform cyber attacks, right? But the goal, the ult ultimate goal for this uh, cyber attacks is to eventually cause uh, physical damage, cause uh, uh, disruption to the, uh, the production systems. All right, so this is the first key takeaway. The second key takeaway is that although the ultimate goal is to cause physical damage, right, so the uh, intermediate attacks in the cyber domain are still necessary. Right? So why is that? Right? Because the attackers, uh, in order to cause physical damage, they need to get into this internet network in the first place and uh, be able to penetrate some uh, 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 internal hosts. They need to gather enough information about the system, for example, the topologic uh, topology of the network, right, or where the high-profile targets are, and eventually, as a remote attacker, right, so they actually need to uh, send uh, digital commands, right, from some digital devices to the field devices. So, based on these uh, insights, right, so we define the goals for our project, right. So, if, essentially. Uh, we want to achieve two goals, right? So first, right, so we want to uh, be able to capture, right? we want to develop a technique that can help the uh, human inspectors, right, to capture how physical processes are compromised by malicious attacks, by malicious logic. The second goal is that we want to help them to discover how physical attacks are caused initially by cyber intrusions. To achieve these two goals, right, essentially we need to uh, connect them, uh, multiple individual attack pieces uh, based on their causal uh, relations, their dependencies, or in other words, connect the dots, right? So that means essentially we need to enable this uh, provenance analysis, right? So in this uh, new domain of uh, industrial IoT systems. So provenance analysis is actually a well-studied topic in traditional IT systems. Right, so in traditional IT systems, attacks are modeled using OS-level objects, right, such as processes, files, sockets, and their relations. So for example, if you observe a, a suspicious uh, process, right, say a, uh, a running process for the, uh, <clears throat> the SQL Server, so then you can use this process-to-process -process relation to identify the parent processes that create this process. You can further use the file to process relation to identify the 
binary executable from where this uh, malicious process is being created. Similarly, you can also use the file read, file write relations to identify what data has been leaked or what file has been compromised, so on and so forth. And eventually you can trace back to the origin of this attack. In this case, is this uh, malicious uh, phishing email, which contains a malicious uh, attachment. <laughs> Although this approach is proven effective in detecting attacks against uh, computer systems, we find that it may not be easy to directly apply this technique right, to the new domain of uh, industrial control systems. So this is because uh, this uh, OS-based uh, province model uh, can only describe the attack at a coarse-grained level. Right, so for example, in this case, well, it tells us that this uh, SQL server.exe is uh, being uh, leveraged by this uh, malicious program, malicious process, right, to cause some damage. It does not inform us how this internal logic of this uh, SQL server has been compromised. So essentially, it does not capture the application semantics. So in fact, some prior work, right, actually from Purdue, right, from a uh, uh, Professor Zhang and the Professor Xu's group, uh, actually shares the same insight, and they propose to uh, instrument this application level programs, and uh, so as to extract more semantics. So we believe that we argue that this uh, semantics is uh, actually of more importance. Uh, when we detect, uh, when we capture attacks in the physical domain. <clears throat> this is because the physical processes, right, which is at the level zero, are essentially uh, application logic, right? That is running on the lower uh, uh, level of our control systems. To capture this uh, application logic, to capture this uh, physical semantics, a prior work, right, prop things. So also takes the same approach, right? So they basically instrument the application program uh, so that they can monitor the critical functions at runtime. In addition, they also introduced a more comprehensive model, right, provenance model called W3C, right, ProfDM. Right? So in this model, it basically associates some critical um, physical devices uh, with some internal function calls. And they will also model uh, the call relation right, between functions. It also treats this uh, system events, right? So application level events as the uh, as some critical resources, and you will check. Right, so, uh, what are the functions that create certain events, and uh, who are using those events? And by using all these uh, relations. Right, so eventually you can trace back to the origin of uh, a certain activity. And in this case, uh, it can indicate that this uh, kitchen light is uh, turned on based on the, the motion, uh, previous motion being detected. So this is actually a good example of applying this uh, provenance analysis to this new domain of uh, uh, modern uh, IoT, IoT. So essentially we can take the same approach. However, uh, we find that several major limitations of the prior work must be addressed right before we can apply this promising technique right to this new domain of uh, industrial control systems. To understand the limitation of the prior work, right, so we use a motivating example. Uh, so from our test bed, right. So essentially, we have this efficient technique test bed, right. So some context, right? The Fisher Technique is a German company which is uh, focusing on this education for manufacturing. 
So essentially, they build this uh, miniature test bed. But because their goal is for education, right? So educating uh, future workforce, right? So their test beds are designed to be uh, precisely reflecting what is going on on the factory floor. So for example, in this uh, manufacturing test bed, right? So we have a, a hybrid warehouse, which is commonly used uh, for a manufacturing floor to store the work pieces. Right, so we also have a vacuum gripper, which uh, simulates the pick and place robots on the field. And we also have a multi-processing station and a sorting line. Right, so the construction of this uh, entire test bed is uh, highly flexible, right? So each controller has this individual controller program and the entire uh, test bed can be controlled either using a PRC or a computer program. And due to this uh, high flexibility and high uh, fidelity, right? So this test bed has recently been extensively used in research and education. All right, so for example, if I just uh, simply search for these two keywords, right, official technique and security, I can actually find quite a few relevant papers. So we can actually perform a lot of uh, different actions on uh, this test bed. Uh, but here we just focused on two processes, right? So one retrieval process and one storage process for the high bay warehouse. So essentially, um, you can actually store a workpiece right into empty empty slot in this high bay warehouse and later retrieve it from this uh, high bay warehouse, right, for later processing. So the retrieve process is actually triggered by a human operator, right, by sending a request to the SCADA server. The SCADA server will forward this request to the controller of this hybrid warehouse. So upon receiving this request, the uh, controller of the hybrid warehouse will first check the storage state right, to locate, right, to identify where this uh, uh, the requested workpiece is. So this uh, storage state is persistently stored in a file. Right? So this is because even if the system is uh, restarted, the state will not get lost. So once the controller has identified this, uh, has located this uh, workpiece, it will request uh, the uh, the gripper right to fetch this uh, workpiece, and eventually it will update this uh, storage state. The storage process, on the other hand, is triggered by uh, automatically by a sensor event. Right? Essentially, when a new uh, workpiece right, has arrived, right, it's placed on this receiving station, right? So it will trigger this uh, sensor event, which will further trigger this uh, hybrid warehouse, right? To uh, store this uh, piece into uh, this uh, storage space. And similarly, it will also check the, the storage state, right? Store the workpiece and update the state. So this is the normal case. So what can go wrong is that, so now that this, uh, storage state is stored in a file that can be exposed to the attackers. So what the attacker can do is, uh, so they can uh, change, right, directly write, to, write this file, changing the state, right, messing up the state, right, between two iterations, right, between this uh, retrieval and the storage, these two iterations. Right, to illustrate what happens, right, so uh, we use this example, right, suppose, Right, so this is the original state of the hybrid warehouse. Right, so this hybrid warehouse has three rows, three columns, and initially, 
uh, it holds uh, three work pieces, right? Two red ones and one blue ones. So then upon receiving the first uh, re retrieval uh, request, right? So uh, the gripper will uh, grab this uh, blue piece right, based on this uh, request. And then the hyper warehouse will update the state, storage state. So then normally, if there is a uh, storage process, right, storage iteration afterwards, uh, requesting to store a blue piece into the, the, uh, the storage, right? So this work of blue piece will be put into this uh, empty slot at zero two, and uh, this uh, storage state will get updated. However, in the presence of an attack, right? So between these two iterations, the attacker can actually modify this state. Right, for example, you can set this uh, uh, the zero one this slot to be empty. So then, the storage process afterwards will get confused and eventually cause a collision. So to capture this attack, right? So what we want to observe right from a provenance graph is like this. Right, so first of all, right, definitely we want to observe this storage process, right, because that's the uh, one that directly causes collision. And specifically, we start from uh, this uh, collision point, we want to be able to observe right, what function actually directly causes collision and what are the functions that can trigger this function. Further trace back, right, so we can identify the initial uh, starting point of all these functions, right, which is this uh, essential event. Uh, which is uh, triggered by this uh, newly arrived uh, 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 work piece. So in addition to that, we also see that this storage process actually need to read from a file right, before it performs some action. Right, by using this uh, data dependency, we can, further, we can further trace back to see that, okay, so this file is actually updated by this uh, retrieval process. Similarly, uh, we uh, trace back to find the initial point of this uh, retrieval process, well, which is actually a legitimate command sent from the server, SCADA server. So in addition to the actions performed in the physical domain, we also want to see that who else has been writing to this file. So therefore we further need to dig into this, uh, uh, the digital domain and to see eventually, uh, eventually see this file has been actually manipulated by a uh, unknown process, right, which is actually created from file that is downloaded from a suspicious IP. So this is the expected result. Unfortunately, the prior work by right, prop things cannot help us to uh, generate this uh, complete graph. So the first limitation of uh, prop things is actually related to our uh, first goal. So our first goal dictates that the provenance analysis results, right? So must help the investigators right, to understand how the physical process is, has been uh, compromised. So that means at least it needs to be meaningful to human readers. So that means, for example, by looking at this graph, right, we need to be able to tell, okay, so this is actually a retrieval process, right? Which aims to uh, fetch some items from the hybrid warehouse. So then the question is, uh, how do we identify those functions that bear clear semantic meanings? To solve this problem, 
prop things actually rely on the source code level symbols. Right, so function names, which are not always available. And even if they are available, they cannot be trustworthy, right? Sometimes can be very misleading, right? Not precise. Right? For example, we have seen that some function are called, uh, uh, is called fetch, right? But in, in fact, it's not used to fetch a item, fetch a, fetch a work piece, right? So instead it's used to fetch the container of a work piece. So then one may say, so now that you may not be able to precisely identify those functions, only the functions that bear a clear semantic meaning. So why don't you just log all the functions? Unfortunately, this does not work, right? Because when you perform those critical actions, the controllers actually also makes a call to a lot of additional functions. If you log all the functions, the, the result will become very noisy. So this is the first uh, limitation of the prop things. So essentially, it does not have a robust way to extract semantics from the controller code. The second limitation is also related to this G1, our first goal, right? So essentially uh, the provenance analysis results, right? So must help the, uh, the investigators to understand the text. So that means they must capture abnormal activities. So then the question is how do we define, how do you define what can capture abnormal activities? So let's take a look again at this example. If you just look at these uh, two individual iterations, right? so this retrieval iteration and this uh, storage iteration, both of them are fine, right? So both of them, both of them are caused by uh, legitimate sources, right? So one is caused by a legitimate command from a human operator. The other is uh, caused by a, a newly arrived workpiece. The attack actually happens in between, right? So which messed up the state transitions, right? Transition from one iteration to another. However, right, so this prior work, prior things does not consider the dependency, the transition from one iteration to another, right? So instead it only considers individual iterations to be independent. So what does that mean, right? Again, using its own example, right? Suppose we have uh, two iterations of this uh, same action, right? Basically, the light is turned on, right? So based on a motion being detected. Well, the first iteration uh, looks fine, right? Because the light was off and uh, now it's, it it's turned on because there's a motion. The second one seems more suspicious, right? Because uh, based on this context, the light is already has already been turned on, but you actually uh, trigger all the same functions that are used to turn on the light again. However, the prior work, right, prop things may not be easily capture this inconsistency, right? Because it does not look at the dependencies across iterations. The third limitation of the prop things is related to uh, our second goal, well, which is to capture the root causes of the attacks, the, the cyber attacks in the digital domain, uh, which unfortunately cannot be achieved by prop things because it only looks at the physical operations. Right, so for example, in this case, right, so at best, you will just stop here and will not further uh, trace back to these, uh, uh, the OS level right, processes that uh, actually uh, caused by this uh, malicious attackers, right, which uh, tamper with this uh, shared state.
So we'll address the limitations from this prior work while enabling this uh, provenance analysis in this new domain of industrial control systems, we proposed our approach. So ICS tracker. So essentially ICS tracker takes the three steps. All right, so the first step is to recover the physical semantics of a low, low level function cause. So once we can identify only those uh, critical functions that bear clear semantic meaning, right? So then we can selectively uh, instrument and monitor only those functions at the runtime. So once we have identified those critical functions, we will further perform static analysis uh, on the um, controller source code, right? To uh, identify the data dependencies among those critical functions, which can be invoked in different, in multiple iterations of the same controller program. And eventually, once we have uh, um, built the, uh, the, the provenance graph for the physical operations, we will further connect the physical logs to the low level, right, OS level right, system logs. Right, but this connection is uh, performed in a selective manner right, because we only look at those uh, low-level activities that cannot be captured by these application logs. So now let's uh, take a look at some details. All right, so, so our first step, right, so semantic recovery. Right, so the high-level idea is very straightforward. Right, so we don't want to rely on symbols. Right, so therefore, instead, we take a more robust data-driven approach. Right, so essentially, we first instrument every single function in a controller program uh, in an offline manner, so that when we run this controller, we can collect a function trace. So then we run a controller right, to perform specific actions. Right? For example, a retrieval, a retrieval process or a storage process, so that we can correlate this high-level physical semantics right, with a low-level right, function call sequence. So the high-level idea is straightforward. However, it turns out to be a non-trivial task. Right? So the major challenge right, still comes from this uh, huge noise. Right? So when you perform this uh, uh, specific action, right? so the controller code actually makes a lot of calls to a lot of uh, uh, not irrelevant functions. To identify, to precisely identify those uh, functions, the critical functions, right? We need to re remove those noise. To remove the noise, we need to first understand what are these uh, noises. To our st study, the noises come from three sources. Right, so the first source, right, the first category. Right, so in this category, the functions are always called, right, regardless regardless of uh, what physical actions are being performed. So that means you can always see these functions regardless of uh, whether you are running this uh, retrieval process or storage process or uh, hybrid warehouse operations or this uh, sorting line operations. And because they are always there, so that means that definitely they are not uh, relevant. They are not specific to any uh, physical actions. And therefore, we can identify this common pattern and remove them. So for the second category, right? So this noise actually comes from the execution variance. Right? So execution variance of the same physical action. 
Right? So even if you run the physical same physical action over and over again, right, because of the different uh, inputs, right, different uh, settings or different conditions, the program may take a different uh, execution path, and therefore uh, it will result in uh, calling different functions or calling the same function for different times. So therefore, uh, we want to uh, eventually identify only the in invariants, right? So those functions that are specifically, that are always uh, called when, when we perform certain actions. So the third category. So in fact, the functions in the third categories are not necessarily noise, right? So they are still uh, inherent uh, functions that must be called and always called when you perform a specific action. Now, the only problem is that they are just a too low level. Right? So for example, if you want to fetch a work piece from the, 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 the hybrid warehouse, you actually need to call a lot of a low level movement functions. For example, you need to uh, trigger the, the gripper to move up and down, right? So left, right, forward, backward, Right, move closer to the hybrid warehouse or away from the hybrid warehouse. Right? So this, these uh, low-level movements and the order of the movements, they are inherent features of a certain physical action. But the only problem is that uh, if you log all these uh, actions, it will be too tedious. Right? So they are highly repetitive. And also, the semantics of this uh, low-level functions, they are already captured, already covered by the high-level counterparts, right? For example, all these uh, movements for this uh, fetch is already captured by the fetch function. So therefore, we can safely remove these uh, low-level details. So based on these insights, right, we, we designed our solution. Right, so which takes the three steps and each is used to remove one type of the uh, the noises. Right, so for, for example, the first step is to extract the common patterns between different operations. And uh, this common pattern actually represent the noise. Right, so in the first category, right? So for example, some low level uh, activities are used for network communication. Right, so regardless of uh, what activities you are performing, Right, so the machines, right, the controllers always need to report its state right, to other machines. And therefore you always use the basic uh, network communication uh, functions. So once we have removed the first, first category, first class noises, right, so then we further uh, try to extract the invariance across the, uh, the execution instances, multiple execution instances of the same physical action. So the common pattern uh, extracted from here actually represents the unique functions that will be called when you perform a specific action. But of course, those are low level details are also included in, the, in this pattern. And therefore we need to perform the third step, which use the, the frequency, the occurrence of the um, the uh, functions as indicator, right, to remove those highly repetitive uh, low-level details. So for the second step, right, so uh, we want to identify the inter, uh, the cross iteration dependencies. And to this end, we perform static uh, program analysis on the source code of the controllers 
And specifically, we first identify all the file read write. And then starting from there, we'll perform backward data flow analysis to identify their sources. And if it turns out that multiple uh, read write share the same data resources, and then we'll further perform control flow analysis to identify the critical functions that actually share this uh, shared state. So once we have identified the shared state uh, from a static analysis, we'll further uh, aim to uh, recover the state transition at runtime, right? By using the application log, right? So in this case, right, so when this uh, uh, state is uh, loaded, is being loaded for the first time, we will also initialize the internal state, right? So, um, so then when this state is being updated by a write operation, we will also update this uh, internal state. So next time when the controller uh, loads this uh, state again right, from the, uh, the shared uh, state file, so we can actually compare our internal state with the loaded state to see whether there's any inconsistency. So essentially we can reconstruct this uh, state at uh, every single point uh, in uh, through this process and therefore provide additional information to the human investigators, right? So help them to make decisions. So the third step is a selective uh, uh, causal, uh, causality tracking, right? So in the digital domain. So right now behind this uh, selective uh, approach is that for all these uh, application logs that access the shared state, right? So shared file, for example, you can actually also see the corresponding logs from a lower level, right? So now that we have already captured more detailed, right? Semantic, uh, semantically clear logs from the application, we don't actually need to uh, collect those logs at the lower level. So instead, we only need to focus on the delta. So as I mentioned, this is an ongoing project. So we're working on the evaluation and we have already created different attack scenarios for that purpose. And uh, some preliminary results are promising. It shows that our data reduction is significant and accurate. For example, for the motivating example, while the original log, um, Log size is 20K, but after several levels of uh, um, reduction, uh, we can reduce it to 33, right? 33 entries, uh, which can still right, capture all the critical functions in the retrieval process. So in the meantime, we are actually developing new test beds, right? So as to validate our approach on different uh, uh, environments. Okay, so in conclusion, Right, to capture attacks in this modern industrial IoT systems, we propose a cross-domain, cross-iteration, semantics-aware provenance model. And particularly, our semantic recovery is reliable and automatic right, because it's based on data mining. Right? So mining the correlation between physical actions and the function cause. So our provenance analysis also considers the contextual information of our physical processes which could be strong indicators of attacks. With that, I conclude my talks and I'm happy to take questions. I've already seen some questions from the Q&A. Let me just uh, read it out loud. So what is the uh, what is the margin of error that can occur while determining whether a function is critical or not? And what steps have been proposed to monitor those probabilities? That's a good, great question. So, so currently we are taking a uh, empirical uh, approach. 
right? So based on evaluation, and uh, uh, I believe this actually uh, related to a lot of a threshold where parameters, tunable parameters used in our mining. And uh, to uh, give a good answer, uh, we definitely need to perform more experiments, right? To test uh, what parameters can actually give us uh, better results. Okay, I think this is the only question that I see on the Q&A. Um, so yeah, I'll see another open one. Uh, how <laughs> how you determine when to uh, stop uh, collecting logs? Um, that's also a good question, right? So essentially, we don't know the precise timing, right, to stop the logs, right, to stop the, uh, the uh, collecting the logs, right? So when we do the data mining, but that's why we do the data mining, right? So essentially, uh, based on our data mining, we expect to identify only the common parts, right? Only the invariant part, while uh, we can remove those uh, uh, noise. And this noise actually is introduced, uh, for example, like you said, right? So one source, right, to introduce this, uh, uh, the noise is actually because we don't know when to uh, stop collecting the logs and introduce additional logs, which are not relevant to the specific actions we are looking at. I think we have another question. Mm -hmm. So given the rapid uh, evolution of both the cyber threats and the industrial IoT technologies, how adaptable is the ICS tracker to emerging types of attacks and advancements in IoT technology. Additionally, what are the key considerations or challenges when de uh, deploying ICS tracker in real-world industrial environments beyond test-based scenarios? So first of question, how adaptable, right? So, uh, so essentially we are uh, testing this. So that's what we are actually considering uh, how to adapt this system to different uh, uh, test beds or different environments. That's why we want to validate the same approach, right? So in different test beds. So conceptually, this is adaptable, right? So we can instrument the uh, the code at different level, right? So we can instrument, for example, more general, right? C code, we can instrument a structured text, right? So we can uh, instrument uh, some uh, dedicated uh, controller code. Um, but yes, right. So uh, I believe that this is also related to the second question, right? Deploying this uh, technique, right, to the real uh, systems uh, can be challenging, right? So there are a lot of uh, constraints, right? First, for example, first of all, uh, based on my experience, right? So the domain engineers may not be happy if you want to touch their system, right? So they want their system to be as stable as possible. And uh, instrumentation, you know, is uh, by nature is a kind of an invasive uh, technique. Uh, so whether this, uh, whether they allow us to instrument their code is uh, still questionable. And also uh, another consideration is the performance, right? So so that's why we perform a selective uh, instrumentation, right? So that's. Uh, um, Right, so so that's actually also um, a concern from the the prior work, right? Prop things, right? So, 
Uh, in their paper, they also mentioned that if you instrument every single uh, function, that will cause a lot of uh, runtime overhead. So that's why they use a different approach to selectively instrument the function. And uh, so basically what they do is uh, they can use uh, some data dependencies, right? To figure out what are the relevant uh, functions, right? So by relevant, they, so what they mean is uh, they first identify some important data sources, important events they want to look at. And then uh, they will just uh, look at the functions that are actually accessed, that actually use those events. So we are taking a, a different approach, right? So we are actually trying to identify those high-level functions uh, that are specifically used in certain actions while uh, ignoring those low-level details. Okay, I think um, we don't have any other questions. So I have a couple of uh, comments because uh, uh, I do work in similar domain. Uh, we have a couple of ongoing projects, especially in cyber physical systems. Um, so whenever we use the data collected from the, I mean, a plant or autonomous mm -hmm. or any other system, I mean, there are two things that we always um, get right. So one of them is the completeness of this data. So I think uh, one of the question was in that way, you know, like how do you know that data represents the, the entire behavior of the system? What if, mm -hmm. if I change a small configuration parameter, such as in your case, let's say there is a, uh, the robot has a speed, right? You change mm -hmm. this. And then uh, like, how do you capture that? Uh, right, this is the first question. And the second one is uh, basically like, how do you ensure the data that you are collected, collected is all benign traces? How do you know there is no faults or uh, any other irregularities doesn't exist in the collected data? So what do you think about these uh, two aspects when you are doing this research? So basically you are asking about the data quality and the data completeness. Uh, so to be honest, I don't have a good answer or a very good answer for that. Uh, so actually facing this question, so when we were um, submitting our VET PRC paper, right? Because in that work, we also need to collect the data, right? So in test around and use that as a uh, way to uh, establish the baseline for the system, right? So um, I think that's a, a more general challenge Right, so essentially it's the, 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 the fuzzing problem, right? So you dynamic, this is also a challenge for dynamic analysis for fuzzing, right? How do you improve the code coverage? How do you make sure that you can access all the, uh, the paths in the program, right? So um, my, we are actually taking just a best effort, right? So we run this uh, program with uh, uh, different inputs, right? So in a kind of uh, uh, black, box black box testing manner, uh, and uh, collect the uh, different traces. Uh, so this is the best of what we can do. Uh, for the quality, um, that's a good question. So uh, essentially, we, we so previously we just assumed that the, 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 the system is running normally. Um, but in the case that 
it actually caused a fault. And uh, um, unfortunately, that fault is also uh, captured by the, the logs right, for the training. Uh, so I would say, uh, similarly, we can collect uh, a lot of logs, a lot of traces. Right, so assumption is that this uh, fault is not a uh, very uh, obvious. Right? We cannot be uh, triggered very often, right? So of course it can. If it can be triggered very often, it's actually part of the baseline as well, right? So if it's, if not, then so that can be actually eliminated by using the uh, the mining approach. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So I have a, a, a quick follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So based on the, uh, the test bed, Fisher technique test bed, that, that, what I understand is it's more deterministic free from any uh, like physical processes that we have seen in chemical plants, for instance. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you think that uh, if you try to generalize uh, your framework to other systems, uh, there would be some challenges because of these uh, complex physical processes or not? I think so. So it's, uh, I think this test bed is not only deterministic, but also it's a discrete control system, right? So basically all the actions are triggered by events, right? It's uh, not like uh, the con continuous uh, control system where, for example, this uh, chemical process is actually purely triggered by how, how much uh, chemical um, how, how much dosage, right? So you actually fueling this tank. And uh, uh, so I believe uh, uh, there is some difference, but uh, at the same time, right? So in some previous work, so what, what I have observed is that for those continuous uh, uh, control system, what people usually do is uh, they will try to discretize it, right? So for example, for this uh, water level, right? So this water level in this, uh, 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 this uh, water treatment plant, right? So instead of uh, uh, just uh, monitoring this um, uh, this water level as a continuous parameter, they will actually discretize it, right? To basically treat it as a high level, low level, median level. And then, right, so basically we can apply the same techniques, right? Which is already applied to this discrete system to this continuous system. Okay, okay, makes sense. All right, uh, I think we don't have any other questions. Uh, so Professor Mu, I would like to thank you again uh, for joining us today. And I hope that in the future, uh, you can visit Purdue in person and we thank had you. a chance to discuss more and you can also um, talk to interested students here at Purdue. Mm -hmm. Thanks so thank much. My great pleasure.